Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Home with Superior. Issue 135. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Ryan. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. I'm never going to get used to that circle. <laughs> oh. Uh, we are back, uh, still virtual because we're still in social distancing mode. Uh, we're doing this through Zoom, and this is going to be the first part of our Mutant Madness bracket. I'm going to turn it over to Brent to talk over the rules. All right. Uh, let's see. Let me pull up the rules. <laughs> <laughs> really okay. on that ball. Uh, yeah. so, so each of the first several four weeks, we're going to be going through the first round picks of our four branches. Um, this week we'll be doing the X-Men teams and we've taken all of the best 16 X-Men teams and matched them up using our perfect selection process. So we have picked the teams, put them together, and then for us, we've assigned points based off of different characteristics that each of the teams might have. So for example, there's power, what powers the team have? Are the powers really repetitive within that team? Uh, the impact. How many power bottoms are there? How many power bottoms are there? How many power tops are there? Always zero. Uh, the dynamics, how good the character selection was, you know, do they play off each other well? Kind of the impact it's made on uh, the history of the X Men universe, the history of Kaylin's masturbating habits. Um, then general quality, uh, which is kind of a catch-all for how good it is and how we like the art. And then queerness, which is also me measuring how much Kaylin masturbated to the team. All right. So obviously this is not the perfect system I described it as, but it is us trying to put some structure to answering which team is really the best. So it goes from one to 10, except for when I masturbate, it goes from one to 69. Um, so no thanks. Gonna... Hey, Kaylin. Kaylin. What, nice. What, what's a 37 <laughs> on your scale, Kaylin? <laughs> yeah. And so so. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the important I'm thing gonna... about the scores is that we've done the scores ourselves. We will talk about them occasionally, but they are not what ultimately decides who wins. Who wins is based off of the discussion, and we take a vote at the end for each bracket. <laughs> Hey, right. Take it okay. away. I'm going to take it away. So uh, again, uh, we are only focusing on one quadrant of the March, uh, mutant, excuse me, Mutant Mad uh, Madness bracket. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to talk about the traditional X-Men teams. What are Your the other bread three? And butter. The other three, which we are not going to do, are young, miscellaneous slash weird, and paramilitary. We will do those in subsequent weeks. This week are the 16 traditional X-Men teams. As Brent said, we have narrowed them down to the most memorable, if not necessarily the best, but the most memorable uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the teams. So um, first pairing is we got to start with the original five. This is Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Iceman, Angel, and Beast. This is the team that debuted in 1963 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. It ran for uh, just shy of 10 years. Um, that's the first pairing, and it's going up against what we're calling sort of the post-Operation Zero Tolerance, post-Onslaught team uh, that was a bit of a ragtag bunch that brought in characters like Marrow, Maggot, Dr. Cecilia Reyes, 
uh, integrating with the more traditional uh, X characters like Wolverine, Beast, uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, I will turn it over to the rest of Homo Superior here. Make your argument about which you which of these two teams do you think should uh, go on to the second round? I think with these two teams, it's really about like bringing new characters into the X-Men world. So obviously the original team is the original five that you have there. But um, having these other new characters that some might say are a little controversial and uh, I would say probably not as popular as say like a Storm or Colossus. These new characters, uh, a lot of them that were introduced, I don't think took off in terms of the post-onslaught group. So Marrow, which was kind of around for a little bit and uh, was not that popular, they also introduced Maggot and Cecilia Reyes. I think they're fan favorites, but they're not necessarily group fit. I don't think people like it, honestly. I'm a big Cecilia Reyes fan. I, I think she's the one who, who like, didn't fall through the cracks. She's the only one that really is continuously used. I, th I think it's arguably um, some of these storylines in this um, in this era are not as well known, whereas the original five have some of the classic villain villains that you still know today. So I, th I think for me personally, it's probably a landslide <laughs> that mm -hmm. the original five are uh, more significant. Well, so you would advance really the controversial. Five. Like, I'm so controversial. <laughs> no. was, you said you said there were some controversial characters. Was there anyone who's like really not as being like, oh no, maggot changes races. Ma maggot, <laughs> is, maggot is regarded as one of the worst X-Men ever. He has a very unbecoming mutant power that people like to make fun of all the time. What so that the, can be what is his superpower? It's in the name. He has oh. maggots. He's got two. Well, not anymore. He has he has one now. But he, at, at the point at the point he had two magnets that could like dissolve things, and they were like a they were symbiotic with him, and it was pretty nonsensy. Didn't they think it was like his lower intestines at some point yes. or something too? Okay. Yeah, it might still it was, be. I don't know. It was utter nonsense. Um, so it's funny is like when when we originally put this bracket together i actually was thinking about advancing the the post onslaught uh operation zero tolerance team because when i first read it i was like oh this is so weird and very like off the beaten path and i always like a good underdog team which is what this reminded me of and at the point i was really sick of the scott lobdell who had been writing x-men for a long time as as did fabian Nicieza of the two x-men team uh, x-men titles excuse me uh, Joe Kelly wrote uh, X-Men and Steve Siegel wrote Uncanny X-Men and they were both good writers. The problem was, is there was uh, some direction and then no direction in what was happening. Uh, it was, I think a lot of it was due to editorial interference, uh, various crossovers. Marvel was a fucking shit show in the 90s. Um, you know, it still probably is to a certain degree, but like it was really bad back then. And it didn't even make sense why there were two different titles. Uh, like... Cyclops and Marvel Girl or Jean Grey left the X-Men and then they went over to the Uncanny X-Men book to do a non-team team. And I was like, I, this was just utter nonsense. Um, the original five is really tough to read. Uh, it is very like dated and not in a great way. It's a slog, but to the points that Ryan made, they, it's the cultural significance of the original five. Like you wouldn't have any X-Men if this didn't exist. So what? we, I think we have to advance this team. 
Yeah, I was I was very torn uh, myself on this because I doing research specifically on the original five. Like obviously, like you said, Caitlin, without them, there's nothing else. But it was actually like not that well selling of a title. Like it was like pretty poor, and it got canceled much earlier than expected. And I don't think it was until the all new, all different that there was really as much of an impact. But again, you can't have what we have now if you didn't have uh, what we had then. Um, and with Zero Tolerance, that was actually at a peak time that I was reading comics. And it was really funny because I was trying to think back to what happened and it. And it was so aimless that I could like barely come up with anything that was actually um, interesting about that arc. And, and I think we're with Maggot, with Cecilia, um, and even Marrow, it's like they were almost characters from different a different book. Like it was almost like they should have been on a completely different team that wasn't the mainstay X-Men. It was like a reinvention or trying to add new characters to freshen up the roster. But I don't know, besides Cecilia Reyes, how they thought any of those had staying power. So I'm definitely leaning much more towards the original five, even if I, I just, I don't find anything about the original five very interesting. Yeah. Mark, what do you uh, so for me, I want to go through the whole concept of what I was doing. Um, I originally wrote the numbers, having remembered my ratings, having remembered from years ago what I had thought of it, going back to now. And I realized I need to read, I ended up reading at least five issues of every single series we're looking at, except for the ones we as Homo Superior have read in the last two and a half years or three years now. Um, and so it totally changed so many of my, I like crazy changed so many of my ideas. I'm opposite of Kalen that I don't, uh, I think it might just be because Kalen said it was such a slog. I didn't find as much of a slog as I thought it would be because Kalen's opinion was very negative in that regard. Um, <laughs> this is uh, the original X-Men, I should say. And I think it, so, it doesn't matter how much money it didn't make is that it, it introduced like every major villain they were going right. to have for years. We yeah. had Toad, Magneto, we had Quicksilver, Mastermind, Vanisher, Blob, Mimic, Banshee, etc. And it literally like it was and just constant new people that we still use today like crazy. Um, and then every single character got like a backstory that is still a functional backstory that we use today as well. The Juggernaut Xavier um, issues like backstory so important so awesome the way they introduce juggernaut is fucking amazing for most of the issue you just see him in like not shadow but like in silhouette form there's the redness but it's silhouette the entire time and it's so fucking good they do it it's like you know horror movie style like a good horror movie where you don't see the monster until 30 20 minutes before the end of the uh movie i i thought it was surprisingly well done for what it was i the dialogue is a little you know overblown and mm -hmm. cheesy and bloated but i i think it was much better than what i thought also if we're talking about overall concepts of it this is what instituted what the x-men were right. so it's like literally oh well, i don't need to come up with superpowers for someone i'm just going to have them have it and yeah. then that's been a big theme i, I think every good x-men line like actually covers that so i, I Rewatching, rewatching, rereading it, I realized that Beast has always been a piece of shit. <laughs> the only time he was ever not was when he was the Avengers, because I totally changed his personality because Bobby wasn't there, who's the actual like goofball of the group. What like so, specifically happened in the original run that you picked out from your reading? Beast though? was the creepiest creepo with Jean Grey. 
He was. You were right. You're totally like, super creepy. Gross. It was unnecessary and creepy to the point where, like, even Angel's like, she's so hot. These, like, uh, these, down, early, these early issues, everyone tried to fuck Marble Girl. Yeah, yeah, like, Iceman everyone. Except Iceman, who was like, you girls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, For lady me. friend. <laughs> um, I also thought rereading it that Jean held her own a lot more than what I felt like when I first read it. I, I, I don't know. I thought she might have been a little too pushovery and reading it. I was like, no, she, she knew what the fuck she was doing. She was throwing people across the room if they were, you know, getting to a handsy beast, yeah. which I was very impressed with. Um, and then in terms of post-onslaught stuff, I, I, with the, one per, the one character we didn't mention of the new ones was Joseph. Magneto oh. clone. For reasons. They the, the entire series was mostly the beginning first half was based around the new characters to the point where the other characters didn't matter. We had to learn the backstory of every single one of these people, which weren't interesting. I don't want to suffer through Mario's whole, you know, alternate alternate world version of the um the what are they called? Just lost <laughs> in my head. And anyways. Uh, Gene Nation were the group that was ended up being part of it, but they it just was rough all the way around. And Mero, um, Mero has shown up since she showed up in a terrible X Force series, which we're going to talk about in three weeks. <laughs> and Magnet, that Magnet, that too. Magnet has just recently showed up again. It, it, it's just what the was characters the... are only minor fan servicey. As I said, Cecilia Reyes is used as like the doctor in a lot of X-Men series. So at least she's around and I actually do enjoy her. Yeah. I think she's probably the, you know, the bright light of this series. What's the uh, elevator pitch on Joseph again? He's a, a fake weird clone of Magneto that is a good version of Magneto, but also he doesn't end up being good. So it's no, just Magneto. We didn't, we didn't know he was a clone until the very beginning of this run. Uh, we just thought he was a uh, de-aged Magneto, which had happened already once before. We uh, and so it was. He was like an, a younger amnesiac Magneto that like ended up joining the X Men, and then at the end of Uncanny number three fifty, which was the first uh, of you know issue of this of this era. You know, it ended with, uh, it, well, it showed Eric the Red, who's a character that we've seen before in the all-new, all-different X-Men run. And then you realize that it's actually Magneto, like or OG, like, you know, Magneto as a bad guy. And so there, the whole, the thing is these two titles, Uncanny and Regular X-Men, they were both leading up to this thing called the Magneto War that uh, Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel were supposed to write, but then they both got taken off the book and it was... Alan Davis ended up taking it over. And like the whole thing just felt super anticlimactic. Um, I remember even like, you know, as a kid reading this stuff and being like super, super into it. And then I was like, well, that fucking sucked. Yeah. Like it just was like, I felt like the rug had just been pulled away from me. Um, and it was this, just kind of, eh. Now he this showed, Joseph he character showed. even had a, another mini series that was uh, basically about him trying to retcon <laughs> a little bit of it and trying to make him more humanizing and just try to, flesh out the character a little bit more but it didn't help him at all it just made him crazy and basically like a fucking serial killer so you and guys sorry no you're fine you you two have seen him and he showed up in the rosenberg series for one issue 
which we had to suffer through, like the most recent series of Uncanny. And I think they immediately killed him off, cause, like they did so many characters in that. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. The thing, the thing that I forgot was the, the word Morlocks. Um, G Nation was a uh, splinter group of Morlocks that Michaela rescued and took to an alternate dimension and raised, basically. Um, so yeah, backstories all sucked. So um, I think we obviously, move on then, right? yeah, it sounds yeah. like we're ready to call. So for this round, we put it to a vote. All right. So in the case, uh, not in the case. That works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In yeah. And yeah, because we're gonna because this is our first fight, so let's let's decide who won. In original five versus the post onslaught operations zero tolerance team, thumbs up if you think the original five wins. All right, unanimous, <laughs> unanimous decision. I think that uh, the original five uh, are they're nice and everything, but it bothers me a little bit uh, that they might go pretty far even though like their characters weren't as well formed back then they're not going to make it in the next we'll round. see we'll <laughs> see yeah they're definitely not there. making it in the I, next i'm just round. talking about like a prospect i'm just a little bit worried that they've got so much cachet yeah you don't know what i'm thinking <laughs> <laughs> no one does no one does can right. i get the votes clark can i get the votes yeah exactly yeah, we don't know gray or like we can't read clark sorry i'm not bringing up that thought process until until what yeah, weeks uh, from now. Brent, you and I should just create a tiebreaker situation the next time they come up just to see what Clark does. Are you going to do alliances? <laughs> I don't want alliances in this. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next pairing. So the first one in the next pairing, it's the all new, all different uh, X-Men that was introduced in Giant Size X-Men number one. This is the run that Chris Claremont got very, very popular for. This is bringing in Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, banshee and for one issue or really two the original thunderbird who was unceremoniously killed off in their uh in their second mission uh this run also includes iconic storylines like the dark phoenix saga days of future past uh from the ashes uh and the nimrod saga um it is very iconic and i feel like i'm loading up all these compliments to try to sway the vote but that's exactly <laughs> what i'm doing so that's the first one. Swing do, is unnecessary. Do the same for X women. Yeah. Fair. And the other right, side. So, and then the other side. It's the X women. And this was a run uh, of just called X Men, written by Brian Wood and originally illustrated by Olivia uh, Olivier Copiel. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing Paul that. Oliver. But this was, was it just Oliver? Yeah. <laughs> not, sir, not Sir Olivier Newton John. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, so this team included Storm, Jubilee with Shoujo in tow, um, Psylocke, uh, Rachel Gray, uh, and a few other female characters. It was an all-female team, which is would seem really awesome because the best X-Men are the women. I think we all kind of agree with that. Uh, this was not a bad title at all. It was very confidently written, uh, putting aside Brian Wood's uh, awful, awful personality. Uh, and the shitty things he's done. Uh, the art was really nice. Uh, I think it was a nice kind of grounding, um, like sort of straight up good X-Men comic during a time when you had people, you know, either loving or not really loving the Wolverine and the X-Men title that we'll talk about in a couple weeks or next week. Um, and then the Bendis written Uncanny X-Men and the Bendis written All New X-Men. So this was like, if you wanted just like straight up, like a, you know, bread and butter X-Team, 
this was your go-to, but you put it up against the all new, you know, all different team that was introduced in 1975. I don't know. Uh, Clark, Ryan, do you guys want to jump in here? Uh, so with my ratings, um, this um, X-Men team, the X-Women um, version, definitely got my least um, points for my scoring. Second to least, excuse me. I was going uh, we'll to say, compared to... What? Compared to Chuck Austin's run? We'll talk about... We'll talk <laughs> about... Anyways, yeah, second to worst. Um, it is... I don't think it's good. The... I don't think it's really competently, competently written either. The Sublime and um, and Phoenix, or not Phoenix, the Rachel Gray interaction was gross and creepy. Like, suddenly she's actually quasi-interested in this weird sentient creature that was a piece of shit monster before. It's Sounds very like Brian odd. Wood and female characters. Yeah, Raiders, very odd. It did introduce Shogo, which, you know, he's still being used, but didn't really do much with anything else. Uh, Karina, Karima Shapindar, you know, the Omega Sentinel became human again, which was really cool and interesting. She was really great in this series, but that's immediately been, you know, changed uh, as of, you know, what, eight months ago? She's back to being Omega Sentinel again. Um, M was good in it. Both of those two, the ones I thought did best were M and Omega Sentinel, and they were only in for like five issues. How did she yeah. become uh, human? I don't fucking remember. <laughs> <laughs> but she's not anymore so it doesn't really matter so yeah it doesn't matter exactly this this did not have impact at all this is definitely the one that had my lowest impact rating um yeah do you think that's because it i mean by the name alone it feels like the hollywood contrived way of creating a group like you have to write a women's story despite the fact that that could be really great that in this case it's very ham-handed well, this this was a series that the, he lost characters quite a bit because other other uh, comics wanted to use them. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the X Women were immediately removed. He had another team that showed up later, with like the remains, and it the, the whole thing was pretty. It's rough, not interesting. Didn't really go anywhere. I didn't care about Jogo's father that Jubilee had to deal with. That was a lot of stuff. It was like the Jubilee show for way too long. This uh, this run was actually well regarded when it was going on, and I think it, to Kalen's point, I think it was because it was the opposite of Wolverine and the X Men. It was more return to the classic, and I think it got a lot of press because it was yep. called X Men, but it was specifically a strictly X Women team, which was really cool, and it symbolizes how important the X Women are to the X Men. But I, I I think it just doesn't have any lasting effects. The art was phenomenal. I really liked it. Um, Psylocke did a few different things that we didn't really see before. She started using some different swords, but she was still in a weird Japanese body. So no real <laughs> she use any of the tens of swords. She used a bow and arrow and a few other weapons. Did she use swordy? Swordy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that crossover soon. Um, yeah. I feel yeah. like I want to talk about all new, all different, like for days, but I don't think this is the time for me to talk about it because this is such a weak yeah. one to be yeah. against that Agreed. talking about how amazing it is should be up against something else that's important and good. I, I, think, well, I, I think the characters itself in uh, 
all new are the ones that we will be carrying through. I don't think that's a spoiler to say. No, but no, no. I think, Very... I, I think there's a lot of iconic moments and characters that we right. think of the X-Men as who they are because of the so, story. Uh, oh, sorry, Kalen. Yeah, I was going to say, like, just two really quick things. One, um, even though it was about X, the X-Women uh, in this X-Men title, because it came out, like, seven years ago, they put a man, you know, Brian Wood, writing the title. I think mm. if Marvel released it in the last couple of years, they would have had right. a, a, a woman writer yes. uh, do it just to be like, care, like to kind of capitalize on all of that. And then to Clark's point, we're going to talk more about all new, all different because, you know, it's very sure that it's going <laughs> to advance for a while. But uh, the points that he made about the original five, I wanted to make about all new, all different, about how much stuff was introduced in this run that um, not only resonates to today's uh, X-Men books, but in, uh, also in other medium. Like, they've right. done Dark Phoenix twice in the movies. They've done Dark Phoenix in, in the cartoon. Everybody knows what Dark Phoenix is. The Days of Future Past, the whole idea of this dystopia uh, has been explored multiple times. And this was the first time they ever did it. You know, like, it is uh, rereading that run. Some of it's a little rough the dialogue especially, but like the stuff they were introducing, if you were reading it at a time and you were like in your teens or 20s or 30s, your mind must have been blowing because Claremont grafted on like the concept of the soap opera or the telenovela and put it on to a, like a superhero series. Uh, and like, you didn't know what was happening next. This is all pre-internet, nothing got spoiled. Uh, you know, like if you wanted a serialized storyline, dealing with like some supernatural or like, you know, sci-fi elements, this was your go-to. You didn't have anything else. Um, it, it was absolutely phenomenal. I ended uh, up reading, instead of five issues for like most of them, I ended up reading 13 because there was just too many important points to reread. I also didn't remember how fucking terrible Thunderbird is. He is just a dick for days. I hate him. I'm glad he died. Yeah. Really glad yeah. he died. Uh, the the uh, other no, thing no, no. we should we should just kind of move on because obviously this is a, a big oh map. yeah hundred percent yeah so uh, <laughs> thumbs up if you think all new all different wins oh I I can't see myself but yeah yeah you don't have <laughs> no, to see I, yourself I'll, we yes. already knew where you were I wanted going, to see yeah. I wanted to see you people too doing it all right um, so five to zero all new all different X team the Claremont era moves forward yeah. All right, so the next uh, pairing, this is pairing number three. First one up is what we call the Outback era. Uh, but I've sort of extended the timeline of it where I'm starting with the, or we're starting with the Mutant Massacre storyline in the early 200s of Uncanny X-Men, uh, going up to uh, the Muir Island saga. Uh, and a big chunk of it is when they're based out of Australia and the world thinks that they're dead. Uh, so they are operating the shadows. This is the original ragtag uh, group of X-Men, um, where you, the team looked very different from the all-new, all-different team, with the exception of um, Storm uh, and, you know, Rogue, who came in a little bit later on in the all-new, different era, uh, Owen oh, Colossus. Um, but it was, it's, it's a fan favorite by a lot of people, myself included, and then the next team is also, this is going to be, I think, our first tough one because the first two were yeah. pretty easy decisions. The next one is what we're calling the rogue-led team. This is right after M-Day 
there was uh, a, a run on X-Men. The first storyline was called Supernovas, uh, and it was Rogue leading her own ragtag uh, band of X-Men, definitely inspired by the Outback era that had a lot of former villains and some anti-heroes, including Cable, uh, Lady Mastermind, uh, Omega Sentinel, Sabretooth, Mystique, uh, uh, Iceman, and uh, Cannonball. So like a very weird mix. And there were times where Rogue would just go up against Cyclops who was leading the traditional team and saying, fuck you Cyclops, mm. I'm gonna do it my way. It also introduced uh, concepts like the Children of the Vault, uh, which we are now seeing in, in the Hickman run. So a lot of stuff is sort of carried over. So I think this is a really tough, really tough pairing. Um, well, well, and I I it all, if it weighs in at all, uh, given the, the way that our fans who, uh, thank you to all of them who have uh, submitted their brackets. Uh, Outback was a very popular choice among a lot of fans. I want to hear Krell talk about it because I know he loves Dazzling. <clears throat> this is uh, this is a very hard matchup. I feel like this should be a like three or four weeks in because I think mm. the, these two runs are some of the best runs that we have. So I think Kalen, when he was making this bracket, stacked it in his favor. So I would like to say he's a jerk, first and foremost. Um, well, but, you don't even uh, know what, my, what my, my pick is, but okay. Uh, well, I don't want it now either. Um, no, uh, but, but I think uh, these two teams are, are very different. And, but uh, the lasting effects that the Outback team has, and I think so much love in the hearts of fans, myself included, have the Outback team overall coming ahead a little bit. Um, and uh, because we are Homo Superior, we are judging on queerness a little bit yeah. and how that factors in. And I think once you throw a wild card like Dazzler in there, I think that adds up a lot of points. Um, Dazzler, you say? Dazzler's in this, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it really, and I think it also showed, the Outback era really just showed the darker sort of ways the X-Men, they, they were coming off of this time where it was really adult. They came into the mutant massacre and literally these X-Men were actually getting hurt, like really, really hurt, which you don't really see in modern comics at all. Everyone, just, they fall from a plane and they're fine. So you, you really saw repercussions for this. And then they were going into this time frame where they literally were going back to the roots of what the X-Men meant to be where they were saying like, oh, you don't know we're around. You think we're dead. You don't think we exist. So I, I think it has a really big impact, but Carrie's run is literally phenomenal too. It's, it, both are so rereadable. It's amazing. I don't know. No. It's a toss up, honestly. Clark? Um, I, this was my closest between each one in terms of my ratings. Uh, the issue I had, and I think it's the issue that flipped it a different way, is that I didn't think the dynamics for Outback were really good. The interactions were very strange. The Rogue and a Dazzler interaction fight situation was bizarre, felt abnormal. You've never and, had two girlfriends fight like that? You yeah, but it lived, just did, it seemed just odd. It just seemed odd. And, what, and were they, what were they not, fighting over? Like, what was weird about it? I don't just the that, that's why that's Long the problem shot. is that it wasn't about something important. Oh, uh, Dazzler was a little bit sassy. I there was also that. lots of <laughs> characters I felt like didn't really have a home there. Like Colossus felt very there's there's a lot of segmentation that 
just felt off. And I um, still gave it a seven for dynamics. <laughs> so it wasn't like I hated it by any means. That's much better than pretty much all the other ones. Um, what? That was, that, I think that was my sticking point. Everything was, else was literally one point difference. That was three points. I think, me, I think for me, the, uh, the Outback stuck out more because it was it, the, the villains that they introduced. The di- uh, I, I know you don't say dynamics, but just in general, the, the people that they actually introduced and the villains, they've mm-hmm. stuck around a lot more. For a I lot think I, I a lot of the villains were pretty rough. And they, they, um, lot, Children some, of the Vault suck. Some of the, no, no, I meant some of the villains they brought out, um, they stuck around, but they're kind of, the Reavers are just regularly mocked in comics. As we'll Reavers talk are, about with I, some of the X Forces, they're just ridiculed left, right, and center. Uh, I hate the, the Reavers. I, I, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I don't know. All new, all different. Had so much. The the the, car- the villains were so much better in it. And I. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I <laughs> sorry. Um, and then this is the problem with the Rogue Led team is that the first storyline, Supernovas, is so fucking good. The art is amazing, and then it kind of drops a bit, like the. Hecatomb or whatever storylines aren't as good, but it's just the 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 dynamics are so fucking interesting, so amazing. The Magneto Rogue, the Magneto Rogue, the excuse me, Mystique Rogue, just interactions are on point. The bizarreness that is the Iceman Mystique romance, non-romance situation is just awesomely weird. I just absolutely love the interactions, which is one of my three main well. That one and general quality are like the ones I focus on the most. Every time we say general quality, I still think it's an X Men hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, general military guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's actually a, Kayla, he's actually a lieutenant. Yeah, Kaylin, what did you so, think? So, this was really tough because Mike Carey is actually a phenomenal writer. If you've never read his non X Men stuff, I highly recommend it, including. Uh, a run of Lucifer that he did uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, as well as uh, Unwritten, which was a story of like a not Harry Potter type character exploring uh, different literary wor- worlds. And that was um, in Vertigo. But um, a couple of points I want to make. Um, the uh, Dazzler Rogue, like sort of like fight, felt very Monica uh, Brandy, the boy is mine. And the boy happened to be Longshot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And... So they were fighting there. Um, some of the villains were kind of weird, but it also, I put the Marauders and Mr. Sinister during this era. Mr. Sinister is a phenomenal villain, but like, it's really funny reading his early, uh, uh, like sort of uh, early appearances because he's not the sassy gay, like Mr. Sinister we know. Yeah. Like the outfit is gay as fuck, but like he's, he's more like a traditional villain. Um, but uh, the way that they use like Madeline Pryor in this made like just, was fa- fucking fantastic. Like her being the jilted, like sort of like wife of Cyclops after he runs away from her, her turning into the Goblin Queen, the whole Inferno stuff. Um, it's really good. And it, it just felt like this is the first time we saw X-Men really living up to their underdog status. They didn't have the mansion. They didn't have all of Charles Xavier's money. They were like mostly in this like, like little abandoned town in Australia. They were getting around by, uh, gateways by a character named gateway who was an aborigine um and um 
you know, they felt very much sort of, you know, down on the luck heroes where most of the world thought they were dead. It definitely felt like, like uh, the concept of X-Men distilled uh, very, very literally in, in, this, in this very long run. One question I had uh, for probably the three of you, because I definitely know a little bit about FX era, but I definitely don't know a lot about the Mike Carey uh, Rogue Run. What in, because like you mentioned the Children of the Vault and like, obviously, yeah, they're now somewhat featured in the the new run of X-Men, but like what other impacts really came out of that series? Because I, I found myself, even in doing some research and kind of flipping through some of the comics, it didn't feel like anything really landed necessarily unless i'm maybe missing ramifications of events um I well, would at the end of that series it killed off mr sinister for a while mystique turned it to be even more of a monster than what we kept thinking yeah. um it was the one time that Sabretooth like joined the team in his dick form <laughs> yeah <laughs> second time actually it, they were odd. trying to redeem him but then they were like well he can't be redeemed so that sort of stayed the same i, guess. I did like that the fact that all the villains they thought we might be redeeming them and every single one of them turned on them by the end and then but to, uh, yeah to, just to answer your question it, it really didn't I, the only other yeah. impact it had i think was um the team the, the book became x-men legacy which was really kind of about um, focus on Rogue, Charles Xavier, and then Magneto to a certain degree. But so the character also, stuff was really good. It brought North Star back into the fold as well, since he was killed in a one of the series, uh, the Wolverine series prior, when Wolverine stabbed him to death. So that's um, some gay points right there. Yeah, yeah there's some well, gay I, points right there. Brought queer, him back in. Let me update my queerness score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, By the way, this, as far as the scores go. This had one of the narrowest gaps in this entire thing by eight points. Yeah. This is a tough one. Across four people. So So do you wanna do you wanna do a verdict, Brent? Let's go and do the verdict. Um in you know, using uh, comparing Outback versus the Rogue Led team, thumbs up if you think Outback wins. In a case of four to one, <laughs> it's taking the win. I'm fine with that because I did put uh, Outback in my bracket. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it's definitely going through this, even yeah. as a, not a super fan, I would say, like the three of you. And oh, I, I was well aware of what was going to happen. I definitely but, say that. I, oh, sorry. What's going on? I was going to say, like, it's, um, it's going to be really hard to defeat all of these iconic teams that have had years and decades of people being able to, like, read on these and think about those events and really, like, cherish them in their mind's eye as their childhood and things like that. So, I, you know, it's, it's not a surprise, but I, you, you've certainly sold me on wanting to read the full Mike Carey run <laughs> based on this discussion. Hey, yeah, look, I definitely uh, thought, good. I thought I Rogue, do, the Rogue Light team was getting knocked up, but I mean, I, I was going to knocked be... up. I, I, yeah. did, I, did, I do like, Caitlin, how you have the bracket for this. Basically, I thought it was almost um, by, you know, chronological. You have um, some mixed yes, in there, but it is very chronological in form. So I do like the fact that we're going to get like a, an old team versus a new team for this final yeah. part of this bracket. Yeah. So next bracket up um, is the original X-Men Blue introduced in 1991. Uh, it was sort of Chris Claremont. The first three issues were Chris Claremont's last hurrah. Uh, Jim Lee drew a good chunk of this at the very beginning. The team was led by Cyclops. 
It had Gambit, Rogue, Wolverine, uh, Psylocke, and Jubilee. Um, this was a very popular run, and a good chunk of this team uh, inspired the X-Men animated series in 1992. It is going up against a team that I'm calling Cy the Cyclops part of the post-Schism era, which includes two sort of discrete eras that we've combined together for the sake of collapsing certain teams if we could. Uh, the first part is the Extinction Team, which is written by Kieran Gillen uh, and mostly drawn by Carlos Pacheco with a few other artists thrown in. Uh, and then uh, this was the team that sort of led up to like the Avengers versus X-Men crossover. The second part of this is the team that was right after uh, Avengers versus X-Men, where Cyclops becomes even more of an outlaw because uh, while he's part of the Phoenix Five, he kills Professor X and uh, is put in uh, the vault, which is the prison for Marvel supervillains. Um, he escapes and you know has his own team with Emma Frost, uh, Magic, um, and then uh, Mag and Magneto, and a few bunch of new younger mutants like Gold Balls and uh, Tempest. Um, so uh, this team, you know, has its sort of pluses and minuses. I know people, some people really like it. A lot of people really hate it uh, for various reasons. But um, let's talk about you know. What's some of the pros and cons of, our, of both these teams? So here's my issue, and we know it. Actually, it's a double issue that I didn't realize was going to be an issue. As I've talked about many times, I do not think we should have shoved the post-schism extinction team with the AVX team. I think it's entirely different in basically every single way. And one I really enjoyed and one I didn't like. So in the opposite respect, with X-Men Blue, I felt like we extended the run too much because – that one has like two distinct chunks where the first one is that one team, the, you know, our five main blue team. And then suddenly the second half that they wrote was single character stories quite a bit. And the character stories were so much more in depth. The interactions with the, with the characters were really fucking interesting. I thought the first half was boring as shit in terms of character interaction. I, there are characters I like better than gold, but I just thought the interaction was very weak and strange and the, the villains they introduced were <laughs> who gives a shit about games master and and Fenris and everything i just thought they, it was oh, i don't know the upstarts yeah the upstarts were a big part of both the blue and the gold yeah, era sorry. to like replace uh, to replace the hellfire club as a little kid i was like oh this is so cool and then like rereading i was like god they were terrible yeah were no I, that's this was definitely a I switched places with rereading. Um, in terms of Bendis' run, I just think it's bad, bad, bad. But they did introduce characters that are suddenly really important. Gold Balls and Tempest are part of, you know, like the five that are in involved with recharging the, I mean, the, you know, resurrection that's going on yeah. right now, which is super important. But I just, I don't know. I don't want to explain it. Oh, the other problem is that the Extinction Team, half of the series was a, an AVX tie-in so yeah. like it hobbles it also they make sinister gay as shit in this yes they this do. is when sinister this turns is the first gay he is gay yeah <laughs> he's super gay this is this is clark doing on the one hand but on the other hand yeah sorry uh, those are all my thoughts and no i think they're based, they're on, based on that you don't know what my answer will be so <laughs> they're super, um, super valid wait with this it's really hard because i think this x-men blue team is when people don't know the X-Men and they know a few characters 
they know every single one of this X-Men blue team. And it, it, it transcends to actually knowing like the TV series as well. So knowing the TV series, it has basically all of X-Men blue with Storm and Jean Grey. Right. So you're adding mm-hmm. those two characters, but pretty much it's that team. And subtracting so, Psylocke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the run aside, it's a little bit ridiculous sometimes, but it's... Uh, it's quintessential what the X-Men are. I forgot. That was the worst thing about it. Cyclops, Psylocke issues was fucking stupid and awful. Oh, that's Every right. moment of that was bad, 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 strange. Yeah. Um, I will say Psylocke did show up in the cartoon season, the poorly animated last season yes. against uh, mm-hmm. Archangel. Um, it's, it's, if we're talking about comics alone, this spawned so much more of what it is. So I think X-Men Blue does play a bigger part in the X-Men role. And if we're talking quintessential what an X-Men team is, this is probably of the two what what it means more. The Extinction team is a cool new concept and cool idea that I don't know if the idea is really translated to something that happened later. I, all the all those main characters are still around, which is yeah, good. I had them in like complete kind of flipped order in terms of blue, like you said, Ryan, the impact that it's really difficult to say like whether all new all different uh in the 80s or the original five or x-men blue really had the impact i mean this is still as far as wikipedia had told me it's still the but it's, it's still it's sold the most issues of any comic ever 8.1 billion or million sorry um and the fact no, it's that, billion yeah exactly um, and it's like, you know, to me, being more of a little bit of an outsider on the overall story, it's just like, what team really makes the X-Men? And, and, and Blue definitely stands out uh, in, in that regard. Can um, I? Can I? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go um, ahead. So the, 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 the sales figure is a little misleading. Um, this was the number of books sold to comic stores. But if you were around then, like a year, two years after it came out, they were just there. They were like remainder. Right. You could buy like 10 for a dollar because this was during the speculation era of comics. It was like right around death of Superman. It was the creation of image. It was like all the flashy shit, the flashy covers, like all the, you know, stuff that we sort of like uh, associate with the bad era of comics. This was that. And then the impact, I do think it had like X-Men blue had a huge impact on the X-Men um, from the cartoon to, you know, what people thought of the X-Men, the Ryan point, but I don't think it was a good impact. Uh, I think a good chunk of 90s X-Men w- were bad. Um, I, just, I just think, you know, rereading a lot of stuff, it was taking what Claremont did rather successfully, the soap opera stuff, and just making it stupid, just like, like overtly stupid. And if you've ever read, like, um, you can find it online, like what Claremont had planned for like his run of the X-Men if he had been able to continue, uh, it sounded a lot more interesting than what ended up being on like, you know, in both X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold. Um, I just felt like there were some good moments. Like I think Executioner's Song was an okay crossover. Fatal Attractions was a good crossover. I think Age of Apocalypse, a lot of people love it. Uh, But overall, this era just kind of like set off like a pretty... Not great. Not a great time for the X Men. So, seems, should we vote? Or? It seems a little divided uh, here. So. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. So Why don't we do it? Thing, uh, the reason I'm uh, doing picking. Uh, so, as I said, the last half of um, the Blue Run was really awesome for me. Um, 
God, I just lost her name. Magic dies in it. Yeah. And it is a really fucking good issue. And then an amazing issue is with, when Emma's inside of Ison's body and she finds out that all the Hellions are dead. Like, he did so well with the second half. I don't know what the fuck he did with the first half. So that was the one thing after saying I was going to say before the voting takes place. Well, okay, right. I'll just say one thing then uh, for the voting. Uh, the reason, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Brent. The reason for that is Fabian Nicieza, like, become is is a real is actually a very good writer. Yeah, like certainly. he takes over X Men Blue, and like the wedding issue of like Scott and Jean, I I love that issue a lot too. Um, and like it goes to the character moments, but yeah, uh, but sorry, it's brother. no, it's no wedding uh, between Kitty Pride and. Uh, <laughs> What does that? Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my last really quick statement is that I somewhere in the basement of my parents' uh, house, I own a signed like some sort of signed X Men number one from QVC, and I really need the value to go up, so I need them to win. Bitch, okay. everyone <laughs> my, has that. Hey, copy. My my last statement, just just my last statement is: <laughs> All right, we're gonna vote. All right, yeah. we're gonna do an up yeah. down vote. All right, so. Voting in favor that X-Men Blue wins. Thumbs up. <laughs> All right. It's four to one. Sorry, yeah. Kimon. No, it's okay. I knew I knew Blue would uh, go, but I had to be the dissenting vote. It's an uphill battle. For, it was, it's an uphill yeah. battle, but you made a good case. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, nothing in the 90s has nearly the amount of quality as we thought it did when you look back on it. So. See, for me, uh, it's... Rereading, rereading caused me to flip. The fact that half of it was AVX just kind of like mm. killed yeah. it for me. Well, Age of okay. Apocalypse for me was my favorite, so I'm very happy to see it move on. Yeah, when, you said, to reread. <laughs> <laughs> when you said that this inspired a lot of people, uh, or not, you recognized that it inspired a lot of people to X-Men, but that it was a bad inspiration. I think that that actually helped me get into it easier than having to actually read the comics first. But it's a personal journey. That, that, yeah, Kalen's like, I fucking started at the beginning because he was alive in the 60s, so he was really pissed to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 1760s, you motherfucker. I was stealing Stan Lee's blood back before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. I read 1603 when it first was published in 1603. All right, let's move on oh, to the next Let's move it along. What's up next? So next up, we've got the two gold teams up against you guys. Uh, against each other. The first, of course, is, uh, is X-Men Gold from 1991. This was the counterpart to the X-Men Blue team we just talked about. This was led by Storm and had Jean Grey, Colossus, Archangel, Iceman, and it introduced Bishop, which has been a mainstay for X-Titles ever since then. It's going up against uh, the second iteration of X-Men Gold, which was during the Resurrection era, written by Mark Guggenheim. It was the inspiration for this podcast. Uh, uh, this run of X-Men and it's some of its uh, uh, peer titles is what the first, some of the first books we ever read and reviewed on this podcast. It was a team led by Kitty Pride. It had mm-hmm. Rachel Gray as Prestige, Old Man Logan, Storm, Nightcrawler. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting other people, but Ink came in for a little bit too and fuck Ink because he's the worst. Um, no, so I think, do you know what ahead. I just realized? Literally, I switched back and forth six times. The entire time I was talking about gold. <laughs> you? So every, everything I said, I still voted for blue because I actually liked <laughs> blue much more. Anyways, yeah. So um, everything I said was a lie. I'm going to repeat it. Gold. When you were doing your scores and stuff, did is that? I repeat. I literally switched it. 
I literally, if you can see me cross out on this thing, it says blue, gold, blue, because I kept forgetting which one was which. Awesome. Anyways, never mind. The, the no, you made up a perfect. But they're similar run. <laughs> but, but, um, they're complementary to each other. The one thing I'm going to say about the other one is that it increased Omega Red, and it's more important. Yeah, is there anything from the sort of gold side of things that we didn't already talk about uh, on the blue side um, of things? You want, I, I, here, here's something I'll say, because we started, because we yeah. started too. I thought this podcast is going to be definitive shit. <laughs> I did not like gold the second iteration. It was just, it was just bad. Oh, I'm glad, so I, bad. I'm glad in a sense that I had people who would be like, you know, quality, you know, curators who could say, hey, this is not the best the X-Men have ever been. So I could kind of hate watch it. But I mean... Gold 2 is not good. It's bad art. In uh -huh. I, I just don't like it. And I think that uh, having read a lot of later issues, uh, or a lot of other issues afterward, it, it took a lot of work for me to like, like the X-Men as a team in general. This, for me, was like, which was the least worst? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. obviously every, yes. every, everything that Brent said is true, this was, I was charitable for the second version of X-Men Gold. I was like, Guggenheim Knives not my favorite, but it has a lot of characters I love. They're trying to go to for a classic team. I like the fact that Kitty Pride is like the leader, like all that's really cool. She went to but Washington. God, it was fucking chore. It was a chore. It was a, a, a bad photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. It's, the X-Men uh... Gold team, the original, I always called it the lesser when I was a kid of like between the blue and gold because blue had like Wolverine and Gambit and Psylocke characters I just really liked a lot more. Um, uh, and I, I never really cared for Jean Grey. I know that's like sacrilege in some, some circles, but um, rereading gold was really tough. And part of it was Awful. the first few issues. Um, the art is horrendous. Will Portaccio loved it as a kid. It's like the same as Rob Layfield. It's like, it looks really exciting. It is hard to read. Like your eye just slides off the page. It gets better when John Romita Jr. comes back. Um, the, uh, the characters uh, and like some of the stuff, the upstart stuff that Clark referred to before. And they're like, incorrect. Yeah, that's right. But uh, it's just kind of whatever. It's just, it's not, it's, it's really not great. Like I, everything I said about X-Men Blue, like magnify that for X-Men Gold. Um, so, for time, can I, I, can I spare us? Yeah. For time, can I spare us to vote now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's, let's go ahead and vote. Uh, yeah. It's a real knockout, if, I think. If you believe the original gold deserves to go on. Doesn't deserve, but a it has to. Fly. It deserves Better. against gold, too. All right, yes. Five zero, gold goes on. It's like two shitty basketball teams going up against each other. So, all right, let's move on to the next bracket. Uh, first up, it's uh, the Morrison New X-Men run, uh, which has Cyclops, uh, Jean Grey, Beast, Wolverine, and it brings in Emma Frost as an actual X-Man and introduces her secondary mutation, which is her diamond skin. It re-establishes a school with a bunch of new mutants that I've seen, that are, we're still currently seeing, like Beak, Quentin Quire, uh, the Cuckoos, and others. Um, it's drawn by Frank Quietly, uh, Phil Jimenez, and a bunch of other artists. 
going up against a much maligned X-Men run. Uh, it was written by Chuck Austin. He mostly wrote uh, Uncanny X-Men um, and then like switched over to regular X-Men for a little bit, I believe. Um, it is uh, a team that featured um, Iceman, Nightcrawler, Havoc, uh, Banshee is a Nazi for some reason. And it uh, had probably one of my least favorite X storylines ever, the Draco, yeah. uh, which which uh, said that Nightcrawler was not only a mutant, but he was actually a demon, a literal demon. Because why? Who the fuck knows? Uh, I think this is a pretty easy slam dunk too, but if uh, folks want to delve into why one's better than the other, happy to have that conversation. The only devil's advocate other than uh, Nightcrawler's dad that I'll play is... <laughs> Draco's advocate <laughs> is that uh, Chuck Austin's run it will go down. I think probably mm-hmm. as the worst run ever, and yeah. new X Men might not have that impact as the best run ever. That's the only case you could really do. It's a pretty much clear. Well, what about the fact that it was Stone Cold's brother's first run? At writing an X Men title, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, don't laugh at that. Uh, That's not a good joke. Also, one... also Chuck Austin's run tends to be homophobic. It's everything phobic. It's it's I, misogynistic. It's so misogynistic that he was in an interview in CBR. Some the interviewers had called him out. Like some people think you're actually sexist and uh, misogynistic, and he said, "How could I be misogynistic?" My wife is a woman. Uh, Actually, um, with that. that, can we just vote? Honestly, yeah, can we just vote? Very quickly, the stuff he does with Polaris is crazy. How like anti-woman he is with her, like her the like wedding. one. It it is fucking crazy. How like against her weird it is. It's a mess. Uh, the one good thing I'll say about it is the North Star issue. Once again, I'm talking about it when he returns, and he has to deal with this child with his power that causes him to constantly blow up basically and he dies with north star not being able to save him is, is the one amazing issue out of a pile of shit oh and the mm-hmm. fact that remember when um um archangel and husk fucked in front of her mother while uh, flying in the air oh my god oh, that's right yeah that's all i have to say let's vote um yeah. wait before we vote i want to go to uh ryan's queerness point because he gave <laughs> queerness which is the lowest score he gave, but he also gave fours to other teams. <laughs> well, you th- thought Chuck Austin was homophobic. Here's the thing, if you have one gay character in it, you get at least four points. That's why. Okay. All yeah, right, let's yeah. throw it to a vote. Yeah, you know what, that is exactly what I did too. I think I actually <laughs> yeah. did three, but. All right, throw it up. Uh, thumbs up if you think that uh, the new X-Men are their team. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I'm thumbs up. Yes, I need a thumbs up. I need a visual thumbs up. Ryan Kroll. He had two. He did. There's Um, like 10, there's 10 thumbs up here right now. If if any of you voted for Chuck Austin, I don't care about social distancing, I would come to your house and beat the crap out of you. I like some of the art, but that's because I was a huge fan. (gasps) No, the art's terrible. I know. Oh, it's a nightmare. Garbage. It's garbage. So Chuck Austin never worked in comics after that. That's how bad his run was. But he pivoted to regular X-Men, right? After that? Yeah. Doesn't matter. So let's move <laughs> on to the next packet. So here we have two uh, different runs of Astonishing X-Men. Uh, the first is, of course, the classic Whedon run drawn by John Cassidy. 
featuring a very classic team of uh, Cyclops, uh, Kitty Pride, Emma Frost, Beast, Wolverine, and introduces armor. Up against uh, Marjorie Lou's team that had Northstar, Gambit, Death, uh, Warbird, not Deathbird, excuse me, Warbird, uh, Karma, and a couple of other characters. It also is the um, run that features the marriage of Northstar to Clark's favorite character, Kyle. Yes, <laughs> Kyle, uh, his uh, normie boyfriend, uh, and Clark hates those normies. Um, uh, this is the one I had to reread the most because I kind of forgot both of them the most. I don't hate Kyle as much because he's whatever. I don't like him because he's a normie. But um, it's Marjorie, her run is bad. It focuses too much on Karma, who I like, but it makes her kind of a lame-o and deals with like her half-sister who we've never... It, it was... I just couldn't stand it. And the yeah. wedding is... We were watch, I, I went to a wedding last May where their vows were, and probably listen, maybe listening, but um, their vows were <laughs> the vows from... Not This is not bad. Uh, were the vows from the issue, which I thought was awesome. And then rereading the comic, like, what? A year later, I'm like, this is underwhelming by comparison to the wedding I saw. Uh, it, I don't know. It, it didn't thrill me, I think, in any way. Ryan, what did you think? Um, obviously, this astonishing run that Lou did was uh, monumental just because North Star actually married Kyle. So yeah. that's the first real mainstream gay wedding that we've seen in comics, which is a big deal. Um, also, she dealt with a lot of gay issues just in general and kind of a cool concept of like dating a normie, as we have been calling them. But like the overall execution was kind of meh. The team dynamic was sort of meh. Um, Astonishing X-Men done by Whedon was a time where we were in this new X-Men run, this Morrison run, where everything was a very certain way. People were wearing leather jackets, really inspired by those X-Men. 2000 movie so everyone was in like this black leather the astonishing run that Whedon did was a time that we got back to them being superheroes so it's very iconic it's the x-men becoming the x-men again so i think it's important to notate just like the overall effect of it it, it was a whole new era where everyone had to sort of bend to what Whedon was doing but it's because he was doing such phenomenal work so uh, I'm just kind of chuckling to myself here because I reread re uh, Whedon's Astonishing last night and like in the first issue, Scott Summers basically says, we have to act like superheroes again because they're scared of us. They're scared of the black leather. So they go from the black and yellow like outfits mm -hmm. in the Morrison run to the blue and yellow outfits in the, so in different. the Whedon so run. Different. It's so, so different. different. Uh, I'm like, eh. It's a distinction without, without a difference. Um, yeah, but they're wearing I'll like say, spandex and shit. So it's slightly different. Sure. Um, <laughs> obviously, the, I think the Whedon run is much superior. It is, it is a classic for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, Whedon really gets the voices of these characters. He was inspired by the Claremont X-Men to do Buffy. And so then he, and then he used Buffy, like his work on Buffy, to like do his stuff on X-Men. So it's super meta. The art is gorgeous. Uh, John Cassidy is a phenomenal artist. Um, but two things I'll just sort of say about, uh, about this run. Um, one, uh, it doesn't matter as much now, but during the time, momentum was completely killed by how infrequent the issues came out. Oh, uh, yeah, the final still, issue, the giant size. 
Yeah. Well, even before that, like you had like, like other stuff happening. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you went through House of M. You had the rogue led team that we discussed a, a few minutes ago. You had the rise and fall of the Shear Empire all happening like off screen while Whedon is finishing up his run. Um, and some of it is good, but some of it's like really not memorable. Like Ord, like the bad guy in the first arc is just, I don't give a fuck. Even though it introduced Agent Brand, uh, who's, a, who's a wonderful character and a mainstay for the Marvel Universe. But I, I just was like, it was so competently done but it just didn't feel as exciting as Morrison's run. And I know we're not comparing this to right yeah. now, but- um, Yeah, so let's not. Just, um, <laughs> I, think the, I think the dynamics itself of the team is where this excels. This is the best of them. Yeah, I looked at the narrative, kind of like narr the overviews of like what happened within Whedon's run. And I was just, the story seemed, I think it was actually really funny, Clark, as you kind of said, like in terms of trying to catch up or read it obviously makes sense to tackle issues because when you read like what some of the updates are, or you mentioned Ord, Caitlin, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Like none of this seems interesting. I'm like, I'm glad to hear that it's like really cool on paper. Cause I was just sort of like, this just seems like a lot of extra shit that you knew was not really going to go anywhere necessarily. So well, it brought danger into the fold and she shows true. up everywhere now. And armor. Danger armor, and armor. armor. Yes. Armor troop. True. Armor troop. Um, whereas all I can say for the Marjorie Lou run, not having read it, is gay, 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 because it just. Yo, that was gay. definitely a tin on gay for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was. It was be. gay, but it just it it's it's kind of a slog. Yeah, it I is mean, I'm voting exhausting. on queerness and impact mostly, so that's what I got. <laughs> well, Let's vote. You know what's amazing is that the Lou run got a perfect score on gayness. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. I want to advance it just for that. I need that. Let's throw it up to vote. Uh, Whedon versus Marjorie. All right. Whedon is the winner. Thumbs up. All right. Four to one. Adam, Adam is the winner. against Whedon? Yeah, because wow. I'm gay. So I'm going to vote for gay things. Oh, I don't like Adam. gay things. Adam Ford and gay rights. The rest of us holding us back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the final bracket that we're going to discuss uh, on this podcast, uh, first up is the Utopia X-Men. This is sort of post-decimation, post-Messiah complex, when the X-Men first moved to San Francisco and then eventually to uh, an island uh, called Utopia, which was Magneto's uh, asteroid M uh, come down to Earth. Uh, it was a team led by Cyclops, and it was during an era when the mutants were uh, decimated to only 198 uh, mutants left on Earth, uh, thanks to Wanda Maximoff. Uh, it also had like the second coming storyline uh, that uh, brought back hope from the future uh, as the first uh, mutant to show up after uh, uh, M-Day. Um, so that was super interesting. It's going up against a more recent run uh, of a book called X-Men Red, uh, that was written by Tom Taylor, um, and it featured uh, a newly resurrected Jean Grey. She keeps getting resurrected um, uh, with a team that had all new Wolverine. That was Laura and Gabby, uh, aka Honey Badger, uh, Namor, Gambit, and it introduced a new character called Trinary, uh, who is an uh, Indian woman who was able to talk to machines. Uh, it was a short-lived run, but it definitely has its fans. What do we think? 
for these two runs, I think it's you're comparing two different things. So it's mm-hmm. what uh, one is about a team, a very personal story of like a very close-ended story, where that's X Men Red, and then decim- the Decimation Era is where in this like sort of utopia utopia area it's it it literally encompasses just about every single x-men that's ever been so it's almost krakoa how krakoa is right now but it encompasses so many parts so Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of characters to actually flesh out but it is a larger story and as you said caitlin like closing out that second coming sort of like that three-part uh soap opera that they were doing with hope I think was mm-hmm. a big was a big thing that sort of defined that era. Um, I I think character work. Tom has it through and through, but uh, overall plotting, it's probably Utopia area. So it's a bit of a toss up. It's a bit, it's what you're looking at more. I yeah. I was so gung ho that Red was going to win until he reread um, Utopia, and it is so fucking good. The only thing that hobbles it is Greg Land's shitty art. But then yeah, Dodson, yeah. Dodson does half the art, and Dodson's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, Utopia brought every single, so many characters. Domino was never an X-Man, really, until this, they showed up. It brought, uh, Magic came back in this era. Kitty came back, Magenta. I keep doing that. Uh, I talked to my friend Magenta today. Um, Magneto <laughs> brought Kitty back from space on that giant bullet. Psylocke came back again. Namor was finally a member after never being an X-Man. Danger showed up again. Phantom X. Uh, Dazzler showed up again. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. North Star showed up again. It literally like brought all Wait, these did characters. Did you say Dazzler? <laughs> she hadn't been. She hadn't been there. Five in a while. gay points. Also, you know how I love my X Club, which is like the weirdest, amazing team, and every single moment they're in that is hilarious because they're so bizarre with each other. And yeah. Later, Doctor. I know Doctor Nemesis is a, is amazing freak show. I just I fucking loved it. I think the characterization of this every single character felt like what their character was sounded like their character in terms of red i loved it going back and rereading it no like some of these characters don't matter in it why is nightcrawler there he just fuck all and then at the end has no and trinary they suddenly become important when they have to do the final mind meld whatever thing and i'm like these, so many of these characters didn't matter Honey Badger was there to talk to Namor and be funny. It was like, I like the interaction between you guys, but no one's doing a damn thing, and it doesn't matter at all in to what's going on now, and like even the slightest degree. Jean Grey's back, period. I think, I think, X- I think X-Men Red was a thing of, it was during the resurrection time frame, so we had X-Men Blue, we had X-Men Gold, and then we were looking for a really great probably storyline that we weren't getting from the other X-Men titles. And then X-Men yeah. Red came in. But looking at the overall picture, I don't know if it was as great. Uh, Red, Red, I think, very much got the short shrift of this, is that it was a story that was definitely better than the gold and blue and other stuff, mm-hmm. stuff that we had got received before. But by that point, the production was already shifting away right. something else. And so giving Red 12 issues or whatever it was and then not extending that at any point basically made the story peter out when yeah. I think surprisingly strong. 
when they yeah. all don like magneto helmets for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I agree with that. I, agree I with forgot about that. Right. I didn't read that, that part. Was I, I love red. I love Tom Taylor, but it just doesn't have the lasting impact. Even I if I moved it lower, if, if red, if red got like an additional six issues or something like that, and probably if it was set, you know, a decade ago, it would have a lot more impact. Um, because I think it's a very, I think it's a, I, I actually really enjoyed reading that run. Um, and it created one of my favorite new characters, Trinary. So. Right. Yeah. Totally. Who's had little to no impact since <laughs> yeah. then. One, up one issue. It's two issues of Excalibur. Excalibur. It's a problem. I don't disagree. It, wasn't I, she in the I business like, center on Krakoa or something at one point? <laughs> Getting a fax because they use faxes on Krakoa. Yeah. She's like, you guys can use a different system. Shut up, Trinary. <laughs> um, going back to the uh, Utopia era X-Men, you know, I didn't read it uh, the first time. And when we started this podcast, I just wanted to go back and use Marvel Unlimited to like read a bunch <laughs> of stuff. And I wasn't looking forward to reading the Utopia stuff because I thought it was like not a great era. But to Clark's point, it was actually really good because it took what I thought was not a great premise of like mutants being, you know, reduced to 198 uh, only left on, on Earth thanks to M-Day. Um, and it set up like a very logical reason of Cyclops wanting to protect his herd. He was like, I, I'm the shepherd. This is my flock. We're going to move first to San Francisco, which is really weird because you had the residents of San Francisco like kind Yay. of embracing... Well, there's that. And also embracing the X-Men because, like, they just embraced the weird there. You know, the mayor was like, we want you to be our officially sanctioned team. And then after that, um, they end up going to Utopia, um, like this little island. And it's almost like a pre-Krakoa Krakoa. Uh, it's like we are segregating ourselves away from humanity and doing this. And you see sort of the lead up to Schism and then, like, some of the more interesting stuff from the Extinction team. Uh, it is it is really good. It's just like ultimately it never pays off the way we wanted it to. Uh, but it was I thought it was awesome. All right, let's uh, let's let's cast our final vote of yep. pod, um, decimation era slash utopia. All in favor, thumbs up. I'm actually oh, I shouldn't put my thumb up. I actually don't believe it. <laughs> I can't Three do that. Two. I can't do that to Tom Taylor. Three to two. I, I knew this one was going to be the one that like separated the most <laughs> and it did three to two. I, I see, I had it winning on my bracket because I thought we had too many, we had so many Tom Taylor stands that they would never vote against <laughs> they, they did. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. I actually I wrote in injustice the entire way through. So we're fine. <laughs> you based it off us being hacks and you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> All right, so, Brent, all right, you so, want to wrap so us up? With, yeah, so um, thank you again to all of our listeners who submitted a bracket to us. Um, over the next few weeks, we will be breaking down each of the brackets further. Adam, do you want to talk about what's coming up next week? Yeah, so next week is the Young Teams bracket. You got your New Mutants, you got your Generation X, your Fallen Angels from the 80s, uh, Young X-Men, pre-M Day, New X-Men, Generation Hope, and uh, two guest stars, Wolverine and Spider-Man, and their X-Men flock. So it's going to be really intense. And then you've got 
The following week we'll be doing uh, miscellaneous or sort of weird, I think as we've turned it because Clark is running it and then the paramilitary <laughs> to wrap up our uh, four rounds. So you'll so see So we got my weird for one week and then we got my violence for the other week. It's good that I'm leaving both of This is almost a Freudian so, uh, way to analyze you, Clark. Yeah, so just if a you, quick recap of what happened today for yeah. our second round that's gonna come up on May 21st, the X-Men teams, it's gonna be the original five versus all new, all different. Um, Outlook, Outlook, Outback Era versus X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold versus New X-Men, and Astonishing X-Men Weed and Run versus Decimation Era Utopia X-Men. So, fuck, a month away, listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen um, to the other ones before that, too. <laughs> no, just listen to that. If you think anyone in the first branch was robbed or you're really happy to see one of your teams go forward, you can always reach out to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. We're Homo Superior Podcast or message Kaylin at uh, our Twitter account on Homo Superior X. Uh, we're also on Instagram, somehow still, Homo Superior Podcast and <laughs> Spotify. Um, so with that, anyone else got anything to say? Don't care. Thanks for listening. Uh, happy Bye. New Year. Bye. 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 Bye.